Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. I am Rick Thomas, and this is Life Over Coffee. You can find us at lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about something that is very common to all of us, and that is bad things that happen to us. But specifically, I want to talk about the things that have happened in our past. It could be many decades ago, but yet they have a residual impact on our lives today. Sometimes we call it PTSD. Other people talk about being triggered. But the issue here is, is that those bad, horrific events can still manage us in our present tense life. And so I want to walk through a biblical process of what I hope that it will put you on a path to where you can flip the narrative in your life to say something like what Joseph said in Genesis 50:20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so this is episode 464, and I titled it, A Better Response to PTSD and Other Triggering Events. PTSD is the DSM's way of describing a tragic event in someone's life. And I want you to hear this part clearly. I am not at all minimizing what had happened to you. I am not saying that it is not real. It is quite real. But what we have in our culture today is that we have two competing worldviews that diagnoses a problem and brings a solution, or hopefully will bring a solution to the problem. Maybe you can think of it like evolution versus creationism. The Bible has a way of, of thinking about very real things like tragic events that happen to us. Well, our culture who rejects the Bible, they have to come up with their own prescriptions for overcoming these problems. And so they have created their own Bible. We call that the DSM. Currently, it is the DSM-5. It is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And this is where you get all the acronyms. And PTSD is one of those acronyms. Now, again, I am not saying that the problems are unreal. They're very real, the things that have happened to you. But there is a way of thinking about what has happened to you and a process of working through it. And I am suggesting that there is a better way than using the culture's acronyms. And in this case, we're talking about PTSD, which is a way of describing a tragic event in someone's life. And so something awful happens, and you carry the weight of that thing for years, for decades, often resulting in triggers as those horrific moments flood and manage your mind. Did you know that there is a biblical process for overcoming these devastating things that happen to you? And so this is episode 464. And again, if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, or at least the cliff notes, uh, you can go to episode 464 and you can read these notes. There's also the podcast is embedded there as well as the video. And we also have quite a few other helpful resources. I want to begin this by talking about a book review that I did for our supporting community. That book was written by Joseph Four, and the book is titled Moonwalking for Einstein. By the way, for those of you who are supporters of our ministry, you have free access to all of my daily messages. Every day, Monday through Friday, I do a video message for our community. I do at least five. Sometimes I've done 
done as many as as 12. But I do these video messages as part, well, one, to honor those who support us financially is one way that we can say thank you. But also, it is a, a way that we can do leadership development for the people who come to our ministry, and, and they want this ongoing training, and so our daily messages is one of the ways that we can do that. Well, in the last couple of months, I did a book review of, jo of Joseph Four's book, Moonwalking with Einstein, and there are over two hours of video content. I did nine videos altogether of all 11 chapters of Moonwalking with Einstein. That book is about memorization. Now, whether you're a supporter of our ministry and have access to these daily messages, I would encourage you that you read this book because it is very helpful. He talks about a lot of things, but the primary thing is how we remember. And in part of that book, he talks about the reason that we do not or have a hard time forgetting some stuff. And I want to share some of those things with you now. Jo uh, jo Joseph talks about how we remember things and why some things disappear almost immediately while other things linger in our memories for a lifetime. He called this the curve of forgetting. The curve of forgetting is the slow process of letting go of information from the point of attaining it. And so you remember something, let's say you're cramming for a test, and you really just want to remember it for the first hour or the first day because you have one, one purpose for remembering that. You want to pass this test, but it's not something that you want to retain. And maybe you should retain it in an ongoing manner, but most, most folks don't. And so the curve of forgetfulness from the first hour, the first day, the first week, the first month, eventually most of the information that comes to us will go away. And then if we retain it after the first month, it will begin to stabilize in our memories. And as it does, well, then we actually own that thing. But that is the problem. When something bad happens to us, uh, then that significant event, there is a reason that significant event lingers in our mind, and it goes way beyond the curve of forgetfulness until it is embedded in our memories. Joseph Ford talked about how the things that we remember almost always connected to visual cues. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. For those of you who are old enough to remember 9-11, I could ask you, what were you doing at 9-11? And most of you would tell me that I was uh, in this building, I was eating this meal, I was talking to that person. In fact, I did a thought experiment just about a month ago. I was in a room with uh, three, three other couples, and I asked them that very question. And, and all, all of them are like 50 or more years of age. And I asked him, I said, uh, where were you on 9-11? And all six of them told me in great vivid detail where they were on September the 11th. And, and the reason that they were able to remember that is because, again, that is how memory works. To remember well, you connect the thing you want to remember with a visual cue. 
Of course, the thing that we're remembering here is the tragedy in New York City, and it was so visually stunning that those things come together and we can't get it out of our minds. Perhaps you remember when someone died. I remember where I was when I heard that John Lennon was killed or when President Reagan was shot. I remember when Elvis died. I mean, those things are forever embedded in my mind, in my memory, and the reason, again, is because those things are connected to visual events. I heard the news, and I can tell you where I was. When John Lennon uh, was murdered, I was going down the road. I was leaving work in the afternoon, uh, heading home, and I heard the news on the radio, and it was such stunning news that uh, the visual cue of where I was in the car going down the road were quite memorable, and thus I've never forgotten that. And you have all of those memories, too. One of the reasons hurtful things are hard to forget is that there are so many visual connections to the event. You do remember the person or the facial expressions, the room you were in, what you were eating at the time, and it is a full orb sensual, uh, sensual sensory uh, memory. Even the smells uh, can trigger you decades later. When an event and visual cues connect, it is hard to forget. And that's part of the reasons that triggering happens. I mean, a person could be happily going down the road and they see something from their regretful past that triggers them. I'll give you a couple illustrations uh, from my life. Many of you who have followed our ministry here at Life Over Coffee, you know these uh, details. I've talked about them often. Uh, but one of those uh, is two of my brothers were murdered 10 years apart, and I've always had uh, a difficulty uh, around guns. I am a 2A person. I, I, I believe that we should, uh, we have the right to bear arms and that we should, and so I have no issue with that. But me personally, I do struggle with guns because guns are connected to two significant events in my life. I remember another time I was driving up from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, heading home here to Greenville, uh, South Carolina, and I was just on the other side of Atlanta coming out of Birmingham. And as I was coming up the interstate, I saw a, a billboard of the Atlanta Zoo. And when I saw that billboard, I just, I just started crying uncontrollably, uh, uncontrollably. And the reason I did that is because I had lost my wife and my children, we went through a divorce, which, by the way, I have written out in my book, Suffering Well, uh, that I, I would encourage you to uh, read because that book is actually a process where I talk about how you take a horrific event and you flip it into something redemptive. This ministry, by the way, has come in large part through that horrific event in my, in my life. But back then, right on the heels of it happening, uh, within a couple of years, uh, I was visiting my friend Eddie in and, and Hattiesburg, and I, I left. I was heading back home, just minding my own business, driving up the interstate, uh, getting ready for another work day uh, on Monday. And I, I see this billboard that's advertising the Atlanta Zoo, and I just start crying because 
it reminded me of a time that we went to the Atlanta Zoo with my wife and our children, and we had a wonderful time. The visual memory of the Atlanta Zoo was connected to a horrific event of going through a divorce, and that is exactly how it happens. And so the key for us, what we want to do, because we do connect bad things to visual cues and they stick in our minds longer, sometimes forever, uh, perhaps futile efforts to forget those things are not what God's intention is for us. Have you ever considered how all things are supposed to work together for good? Or what others meant for evil, God meant them for good, as Joseph did say in Genesis 50, 20. We have to deal with the sovereignty question. God was there when those things happen. God's intention for our lives is not to create bad memories for us to struggle with all of our lives. God recognizes we live in a fallen world, which we have been since Genesis 3, 6, and because of that, there will be thorns and thistles all the days of our lives. But God is greater than those thorns and thistles. God is greater than the horrific events in our lives. And so bad things happen to people, period, and all of us have our memories. I have talked to so many people in my counseling career who can go back to their early childhood, and that's one of the most common recollections that I hear from people. I was talking with a lady one time, as, and she was staring uh, at her Bible, and, and she was crying. I didn't know what she was looking at. I just saw that she was crying. And I asked her, I said, why are you crying she said, I'm looking at my Bible. I thought that was odd. Why would you uh, start crying by looking at your Bible? And she told me, she said, when I look at my Bible, I think about God. When I think about God, I think about God the Father. When I think about God the Father, I think about my father. And he sexually abused me and threw me out of a window and many other horrific things. And, and so just looking at the Bible began to connect things visually to her. And so she was captivated by her past, even though that past moment happened at least four decades ago, and she has been carrying it all of her lives, life. I remember a gentleman telling me in tears, he was 50-something years old, he said the only way that he could connect with his dad was to lean over the hood of a car as they tinkered with the engine because that's what his dad did. And so he said, I didn't like cars, but I would go and, and just lean over the hood and, and, and try to pretend that I was interested because he wanted a relationship with his dad. And he told me that in tears. We all have had bad things that have happened to us, and that's why it is critical that we have a biblical process of working through those things, because again, what maybe other people intended for evil, God did not. And so I know that you have your stories as well. And so rather than forgetting, because we really can't forget those stories, because they're so connected to these visual cues, as I have illustrated here. Thus, there has to be a better question that we want to ask ourselves, and that is how to retrain our thinking so those awful events become actual stepping stones to a more significant experience with God. 
but more than that, also become a practical usefulness for other people. And so again, this is episode 464. I've titled it, A Better Response to PTSD and Other Triggering Events. And what I would like to do is just to walk through five steps And I trust it will benefit you as you begin to reframe what had happened to you and see it more from God's perspective and the possibilities that he could do through you for his fame, for your benefit, and also the practical help of people within your sphere of influence. And so here's the order, five things that I want you to consider. First is to recognize You have to recognize that sovereignty and suffering, they coexist in this life. There's no way to get around it, and we shouldn't even try. There is a sovereign God, and we live in a fallen world. Therefore, there will be suffering. And so one of those things will have effective management over your mind more than the other. You're either going to be sovereignty-centered or you're going to be suffering-centered. We talk about it within our ministry as living in the parallel. And so if you have this parallel here and you're right in the middle, there will be one line running over the top and one line running under the bottom, and you're right in the middle. And you have to choose which one is going to be on top and which one is going to be on the bottom. Either sovereignty will be on top and it will manage you and the suffering that you're going through. Or suffering will be on top, and you will have a very small God, and His sovereign work in your life won't mean a lot. Now, perhaps you know people like this, that they are suffering-centered. You hear it in their words. Uh, They can be cynical people. They can be all kinds of anger. Cynicism is a form of anger. Uh, but they can even be more volatile than that. You can hear the negativity in their lives. Uh, they are the, the half-empty people, not the half-full people, and that's more than optimistic speak from a positive mental attitude. Now, it is a real attitude that we have to have, that we have to recognize that God is omniscient, He is omnipotent, He is omnipresent, that God is there, just like He told Jeremiah. That before I formed you, I called you to be a prophet to the nations. Before we were ever born, the author was articulating our story. And then we, uh, he brought us into this world, and now we are living out that narrative. And so we have to recognize that God is objectively real, and he is objectively working in our lives. It doesn't mean that it's going to make sense in the moment. But that's not what we're holding on to, or that's not what we should hold on to. What we should hold on to is that God is sovereign, God is good, God is activating His plan in our lives. And so perhaps at this juncture, the best thing that you could do is to go back to theology proper in systematic theology, the study of of God, and begin to study his, his character and his attributes and have a full-orbed understanding of who God is and what he can do. And it, it is he, as Isaiah said in, in chapter 40, who sits on the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are grasshoppers. And so we have to have that perspective. And so point number one is to recognize that sovereignty and suffering coexist 
one of those will have effective management over your mind, and that is a choice that we can make. Now, you say, well, you know, I can choose that God is more sovereign or has more management over my mind than suffering, but yet my suffering seems to be controlling all of my all aspects of my mind at this point. That's fine. I understand that. The process that I'm talking about is not amputation, like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, where you just amputate it like flipping a switch on and off. That's not how what I am talking about works. Go back to the lady that was looking at her Bible. She has been carrying that weight in her soul for four decades, or the gentleman who talked about his dad for for five decades. He's been carrying that burden in his soul. He's not going to be able to Uh, Just cut that off and to change on a dime, that's not how it's going to work. And so as I lay out this process, it's important that you understand that, that there's no amputation here. And that's more of a behavioral modification thing. But this is internal soul transformation, and it takes a whole lot more work. The Bible word is mortification, where you take the life out of that thing over a process of time, where you reduce the vitality of that thing uh, by bringing in another thing that has more power and dominance in your mind. Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4, that you're putting off this old thought, and you're putting on a new thought, but right in the middle You're renewing your mind, and that will be an ongoing process. It will take a long time to actually work through, and so you do this by faith. And point number one is you recognize that sovereignty and suffering coexist, and you want sovereignty to rule your mind. And so number one, recognize. Number two, reframe. As you accept that there could be more incredible possibilities to what happened to you, now is time to reframe the narrative. Now, this is the process that's going to take work to have Joseph's mindset to flip the narrative of your life. Now, what I would recommend is that you share these things with a friend, a competent friend who won't rubber stamp you. He won't jump into the pool of empathy and and drown with you, but he will be a or she will be a sympathetic friend who will come alongside you, a sympathetic friend has compassion, but also has courage. And so when you are thinking badly, when you're going down the wrong path, a a sympathetic friend will not only exhibit compassion, which is what an empathetic friend will do, but a sympathetic friend will do more. They will have courage, and, and, and they will say things like what Nathan said to David, you are the man, and, and they have no difficulty to, to, to take you by the shoulders and all compassion and just shake you and say, hey, you need to stop thinking like this. And you really do need that friend in your life because you are trying to reframe something. You're not trying to... You're not trying to... Uh, forget something. In fact, you don't want to forget this. And that's one of the cool things about sovereignty. If sovereign God permitted this thing in your life, then it was permitted for a purpose. But our struggle is, is that thing, many of these things can be so devastating in our lives 
that they become inculcated in our psyche, in our soul. And it's like a gradient process where it happens initially, and then we think wrongly about it, and it begins to sink down and deeper and deeper, and that's where the inculcation happens. And so now it is deep into our psyche, and we have one way of thinking about that, which is why when you see a billboard, you're automatically triggered or these other triggering events that happen. And so this process of recognizing that sovereignty and suffering coexist, number two, now we are bending it. We're bending the narrative to the point to where we can flip it. So number two was to reframe. Number three is to refocus. As you begin to explore the mind of God, and what he might be up to with your life. As I said earlier, God was there in your tragedy. God doesn't do anything hap haphazardly. It took me four years, by the way, to to get that narrative somewhat flipped. I was very angry at God because of, of what happened. And again, all of that is written out in my book, Suffering Well. And so I'll not repeat that here, uh, but I would encourage you to read it. But I had to come to the place to where, one, I had to admit that I was angry at God. Sometimes in our Christian lives, we like to sanitize our morality and sanitize our thought life uh, to such a way that we, we disguise what is really going on. We mask our anger, and there could be some kind of internal logic that is going on that, that, that says that how we are responding is, accu is actually correct. Other people would listen to us, and, and, and they recognize from the words that we are using that, no, you're really an angry person, and, and you, you need to rectify that, but that's where you need that sympathetic friend who will recognize that and call you to rectify that. But I didn't have that person in my life, and so I had to work through this process by myself. It can be done. God is with us. But I had to come to the place to where admitting that, that I was angry at God for these things that had happened because I had a plan in my mind of what my life was going to be. It's kind of like what Fontaine said in Les Miserables, that this, uh, she had no idea that this life that she was living would be this hell that she is living. And that's what happens to many of us. And so as we begin to recognize what is going on in our lives, and then we begin to reframe it as we try to bend that narrative, now we want to refocus we want to start exploring the mind of God. And after I repented of my anger toward God, as I confessed that to him and asked him, I said, please forgive me. I am angry. I said, now I see. And this is kind of what Job was saying in, in chapter 42. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I, I repent in dust and ashes. And many of us are so Christianized, we know who God is, but we haven't had that up close and personal experience with him until he rips everything away from us and we live in the devastation of that and, and sometimes we can go through a, a bitter season where we're angry at God but then when we come to see him with more clarity we start refocusing and the first part of refocusing is just a simple admission or what the Bible would say confession uh, that I'm angry at you for how things have rolled out for me will you forgive me and then you begin to explore the mind of God, just maybe 
there's a possibility that God was there in your tragedy and that he doesn't do anything haphazardly. This refocusing aspect is more about faith than objective reality. Because you will not experience what God intended for you for months or, or, or years. And so this transitional moment of, of recognizing and reframing and refocusing, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, Amazon's going to show up and say, hey, this is what was intended here. Uh, here it is. Uh, you've gone through these steps, and three days later, now you're just ready to go. Now, it could be a decade uh, before you actually see the future reality in an objective way of what God was doing way back there. When I repented of my anger toward God and received His forgiveness, nothing in my life changed one bit. My life was just as terrible as it was uh, five minutes later as it was five minutes before. And that's why I say that this refocusing process, maybe even repentance is a part of that refocusing as you explore the mind of God and what He might be up to in your life. It's more about faith, but that's why you want to go back to studying the attributes of God, the character of God. He is sovereign. He is good. And your faith begins to take hold of your life, even though you can't see the objective reality of any changes that are before you. And so as you begin to do that, you, you begin to accept by faith that God is good and God is working good in your life. So number one is recognize sovereignty and suffering coexist. Number two, you begin to reframe now. You're bending that narrative, hoping to flip it. You begin to, number three, refocus as you start exploring the mind of God and some possibilities that you really haven't considered to the depth that you need to consider them. And then number four, you want to retrain. The hard part will be taking your thoughts captive. You must retrain your mind regarding what happened to you. This process could be minute by minute uh, as the triggering effects come rolling in like the ocean waves. But in time, the triggering will become farther and farther apart. I'm still triggered by what happened to me in 1988 when my, my wife left, but I'm triggered differently now. It's not as controlling or powerful as it was in the early days. I can look at a billboard to the Atlanta Zoo. I could go to the Atlanta Zoo and it would not bother me at all. But there are still triggering events. They're just more subtle now. But this, even the subtleties of it doesn't send me into despair. It actually sends me into a reminder of the goodness and kindness of God and the privilege that He would permit us to walk in the steps of His dear Son. And so there will be triggering events that come out of nowhere and so you want to budget those moments into your future triggers so that you will be ready to respond when they happen. So that's number four. You want to retrain. retrain. And then number five, finally, is you want to redeem. In time, you will begin to sense the redemptive purposes for your trouble. You will recognize how vital it is to remember, not forget. You never want to forget. By the way, the communion table is just like this. The communion table in our churches is a remembrance of a tragic event. 
But because we have gone through this process, we, we, we have done these five things, though we may not have articulated them like that. We recognize that sovereignty and suffering, suffering coexist. We reframe the storyline. We begin to flip the narrative of the death of Christ. We refocus and we begin to explore the mind of God and the possibilities of what he was up to because Christ's death was not a haphazard event. We began to retrain, and th- this is some of what the disciples had to do uh, when they had to when they were actually experiencing the death of Christ. And then number five, we see the redemption in all of this, and this is all tied into the communion table. And so we want to remember that tragic event. In fact, we we do this uh, sometimes every week in some churches, monthly or every so often. But this is a recurring event because we want to remember, do this in remembrance of me. We do not want to forget. And so this is episode 464, a better response to PTSD other than and other triggering events. And again, you can read these notes here. The video and the podcast is there as well. I reference 1 Peter 2.21, and so let me close with this. Peter wrote, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Tragedy happened to Christ, if that's what, the way you want to uh, communicate it, but we know better. We see it from a sovereignty perspective not from a suffering perspective. And that's point number one, and that will really set the trajectory for how you will go through the trouble that comes into your life. And so here's a few questions for you. Number one, has something awful happened to you? And you're still reacting negatively to that event? I am not minimizing the event at all. I'm not pushing it out of the way. In fact, I'm making a case here that you don't want to forget. And so if you're still struggling at that point in your life, don't beat up yourself. We all have gone through bad things. And so just begin talking about it. Number two, why do you remember it? Maybe more importantly, do you recognize how your memory and visual cues are connected? It is important to understand how triggering happens. And, and so I want you to understand how the thing that happened in visual cues, that they are connected, and this is what Joseph Four was talking about in his book, Moonwalking with Einstein. Does the process of memorization make sense to you? Number three, will you begin to write out a plan or think through a game plan for how you can flip the narrative of what happened to you? Number four, Do you have more hope now as you've listened to or watched this? Perhaps it would be good for you to revisit this episode 464 as often as you need to. Maybe that could be part of the reframing process for you so that you can keep your hope alive that God did not do this or permit this haphazardly, that he has a plan in your life. And then finally, number five, will you ask someone to walk with you through this process? Episode 464, A Better Response to PTSD and Other Triggering Events. I would encourage you not only to get on this episode, the show notes, but there are a lot of um, 
links here uh, that will help you and you can continue to explore. We make our content, each resource, uh, to where you could spend six weeks or six months studying just this very idea here because of the internal linkage that we have in each one of our resources. And so maybe uh, episode 464 is something that you want to bookmark uh, that you can revisit time and time again. A better response to PTSD and other triggering events. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.